Thank you for streaming the audio messages of the Fountain Church. What, what if I told you today that, that a man cave had the potential to transform your relationships? That a man cave had the potential to transform your relationships? Now, I know all the men in here are saying, yeah, like some of you guys have been fighting for a man cave for a long time. But it might not be what you think today. Now, some of you in here, you're like, what in the world is a man cave? So let me give you a, a quick definition. A man cave is simply a place to retreat and replenish. To retreat and replenish. It's a place where, you know, it could be a garage. It could be an extra space in your house. It could be maybe in the backyard. It could be a shed. And it's just a place where a, a guy can go and just kind of veg out, relax, retreat and replenish. Now, in our day, people have taken this to a whole nother level. Like, I mean, back in the day, it was, you know, just nice to have some alone time, some space maybe, enjoying nature, but not today. A man cave today, it, it, takes, on a whole, it's, it's a, it takes on a whole new meaning. But isn't it true that uh, we can kind of see an expression of a man by the look of his cave? In fact, Men's Health did, uh, did an art, uh, they came out with a, a survey and a report that one of the key things about a man cave, one of the main reasons why they're so important is because it allows, it allows a man to, ex, to express his identity. And I thought, man, that, that's an interesting statement. That kind of grabbed my attention. Because as you step into a man cave, as we just kind of uh, observed right here, you'll see that um, these are some of the things that the man identifies with. You'll find in a man cave some of the things that this guy values. But you also find in a man cave some of the things that a man will run to when maybe he's stressed out or maybe he needs to find relief or retreat. And sometimes that can be a good thing if it's healthy and it could be a bad thing if it's not. Come on, how many of you guys know if a Bible is on the table in a man cave, that's a great sign. But I know that there's a lot of man caves that the Bible is, no, is not even present. And there's a lot of other things that are present, and I'll leave that to your imagination. But, but it... it, it a man cave really shows and, and, and helps you to understand a man a little bit better. And in fact, if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. Little did men's health know that they were communicating a spiritual truth. And that's this, that a, man, that a man's cave reflects what's in a man's heart. A man's cave really reflects what's in a man's heart. You can see what he identifies with. You can see what he values. You can see what he runs to when things are getting tough. Now, you might be thinking, well, what in the world does this have to do with relationships? Like, how is this going to help? But let me, let me tell you a couple things that I'm mindful of today. I'm mindful of some of you guys are looking at this like, I can never afford that. I don't have space in my home. I don't have a backyard. I have a balcony, right? I don't have, I, some of you, you go into the restroom for 15 minutes, lock yourself in there just to retreat from the kids and through the chaos and that is your man cave. I understand. And, and ladies, I, I know you're probably in here like, oh, great, it's Father's Day. This is like a man's message. No, 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 no. See, you don't need a man cave because you have the whole house. <laughs> like, that belongs to you. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. Here's the truth. The truth is this, is that regardless when relationships aren't working right, 
there's a place and a space, a cave, if you would, that we all run to, both internally and externally. Some of those internal caves that we run to when relationships aren't working right, it can be uh, we run to a place of shutdown. We put up some walls and we say, that's far enough. Some of us run to anger, frustration. Some of us run to, uh, to jealousy and envy. Some of us run and escape to pride and stubbornness and rebellion. But then on the flip side, some of us, we run to love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All the spiritual folks in the house said amen. <laughs> but we also run to external things. And some of these things can be very subtle, and they don't even have to necessarily be bad things. Some of us, we run and we overwork. Some of us, we overeat. Some of us, we, we find ourselves in, in places that we're running to um, that are uh, somewhat of a medication for us, trying to find some relief. A lot of guys uh, statistically show today that it's all-time high that a lot of men run to pornography and different ways to, to try to escape, different things externally, looking for some relief, looking some, for some revitalization. But then on the flip side, sometimes, man, it, when, when, when we're healthy, we'll run to things like prayer and we'll run to, to maybe our small group and say, hey, guys, I'm, I'm struggling. Uh, some of us, we will open up the scriptures and we'll run there. And so the, the bottom line is this, and this is really uh, something that we all need to, to be able to answer and that we all need to be able to understand, is really the condition of your heart will determine the cave that you run to. The condition of your heart will determine the things you're identifying with, the things that you're valuing, and the things that you're running to. Not only will the condition of your heart dictate where you run, but the condition of your heart will also be the experience that everyone else will encounter as they enter your space, as they enter your cave or that atmosphere that you're living in. Are you guys tracking with that? And so, so that kind of leads us to, to the natural question, and this is a question that if you're taking notes, you can jot this down today. And the question is this, is, is your heart healthy? Is your heart healthy? Like when, when you think about uh, relationships that aren't working right, and I'm not, I'm not talking about uh, just uh, there's no conflict, because how many of you guys know there are plenty of homes that relationships are broken, but there's no conflict because there's no relationship. So when I, when I say broken, I'm not just talking about your house. It's like this, in this uproar, but man, some, sometimes we're, we're in the same house, but we couldn't be more far apart. And so, so in, in those moments and, and when you find yourself in a place where relationships aren't working right, where do you run and how is your heart? What's the condition of your heart like? Because that's going to determine the things that you run to, the things that you identify with, the things that you value. So how is your heart? Is your heart healthy? Well, we're going to dive into to a man cave today. And we're going to dive into a man's cave that I think is really going to help us uh, evaluate. Evaluate our heart evaluate the condition of our heart, and see if we're really in a healthy spot. Now, we don't have time to examine every, the depths of everybody's soul today. But we're going we're gonna to look at two things from a man cave that I believe can radically transform your relationships. Radically transform your relationships. And this, this cave is, is occupied by a man by the name of David, uh, also known as King David. Uh, you might know him if this is your first ex uh, church experience. This is the, the David and Goliath story. So maybe you've heard somewhere down the line of, of this small kid fighting this big giant or this big military man. 
And um, and I, 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 you, you might be thinking like, well, okay, um, King David's man cave, like what can I really learn from that? How is that really going to apply to my life and my relationship? Like that's a cute story, Pastor Matt. That's a cute little illustration that you've done. But what makes David qualified to speak into my life? Well, I think, man, that's a great question. And I think the answer is found in Acts chapter 13, verse 22. And it's really the way that God sees David. So let me, let me show you the way God sees David. This is what the Lord said about David. He said, I found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. I don't know about you, but when God says you're a man after his own heart, that gives me a little bit of confidence that we can learn something relationally from this guy. And it also gives me a little bit of confidence that I know that David, when he's in a fight or in a struggle or in a broken relationship, that he's going to tend to identify with God. He's going to tend to, it shows clearly that David values God's opinion and what God has to say and God's processes. And David, so we see clearly all throughout the Old Testament, David was constantly running to God when he was in trouble. David was no, by no means a perfect man. We see that David made a lot of mistakes, but God says that his heart was always bent in pursuit of him. So I think that gives him a little bit of qualification to speak into your life and to my life. Would you guys agree? And, uh, and so, so we're, we're gonna dive into this. Let me give you a little bit of context. I have to paint the picture. Some of you guys are like, David, who's David? Okay, the giant slayer, like what is this guy? Help me out, help me understand where we're going today. Well, let me, let me invite you into to the narrative because King David, uh, at one particular point, uh, was just a shepherd boy taking care of his father's sheep. Long story short, there was a king by the name of Saul who was uh, overseeing uh, the, the people of Israel. And, uh, and God had decided that King Saul's time was up. And so he told the prophet Samuel, I want you to go and I want you to anoint the next king. Well, David was just a boy at the time and Samuel... Long story short, ends up finding David, anoints him as king. And how many of you guys know David as a teenager was pumped up? He just found out he was going to be a king. But King Saul, he wasn't too excited about that. And this really came to fruition when uh, the David and Goliath story took place. Here King Saul is a master swordsman. He's, he's uh, just loaded in armor. I mean, he's the leader of the nation, yet he's afraid of this Philistine soldier. And so all these guys, the entire army was afraid of this Philistine. Nobody was stepping to the place. So David, he says, you know, hey, king, um, I'll do it. If all you guys are scared, all you old folks are scared, I'm going to go ahead and do it, right? And so King Saul probably thought in his, in his mind, listen, we don't have much choice. I don't want to fight the guy. None of these guys want to fight the guy. Let's just see what happens. Now, I'm sure in Saul's mind, he thought that David was not going to make it. He had no armor. He had a little slingshot. But he served a big God. So long story short, Saul's probably sitting back like, okay, let's see the boys in the valley. All right, guys, this might be brutal. And the next thing you know, David has the victory. And so all the people, all the crowd start to, start to chant. And this is where it goes south. They start to say, David, they start to say, Saul has slayed his thousands. But David, his tens of thousands. And he said, in that moment, Saul said, what is left for this kid except the throne? And in that moment, there was a, there was a breach in the relationship. 
In that moment, Saul began to retreat to some caves of his own, some caves of jealousy, some, some caves of anger and frustration and rebellion and hostility, which led him to the pursuit of wanting to destroy David, wanting to, to kill him. Matter of fact, they were at dinner one night. Saul took his spear and David said, all right, this guy's serious. Like, you don't throw a spear at somebody's head at dinner time. Are you with me on that? So you could tell that he was running to some very unhealthy caves, that this guy had some, some, some issues that were happening on the inside of his heart. And so, so when you fast forward the story, so David was kind of banished from the land, the, the land that God had called him to be king over, and Saul is now pursuing his life, and it says with 3,000 of the elite troops. What Saul is saying is, I'm serious, man. I want this guy dead. And so here they are traveling through the wilderness and in pursuit of David. And Saul says, you know, guys, I got to use the restroom. Now, in Jewish law, uh, this was really important to know, you had to go outside the camp. Are you, are you tracking with that? It was sanitary issues. Like, you got to go far away um, if you need to use the restroom. And so one of the things that we know about this reality now is Saul is in a very vulnerable place. He's away from all of the troops. And he's finding some, some refuge in a cave where he's going to find some relief, not realizing he just stepped into the ultimate man cave with David and all his mighty men ready to go. And that's where we pick up our story. Go with me to 1 Samuel chapter 24, and this is what it says. Oh, actually, uh, tur turn back one, one quick second. Um, as, before we dive into this, I, I want to give you the first thing that we learn in David's man cave, the first thing that we see. And if you're taking notes, you can jot this down. First thing that we see in David's man cave is David shows us that it's better to be patient than powerful. It's better to be patient than it is to be powerful. Okay, let's go to the text. So here Saul is relieving himself, and David's men are like, bro, now's your opportunity, David's men whisper to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with him as you wish. And so... David continues, and, and he kind of sneaks over there with that stealth type of a, of a, you know, Navy SEAL type stuff. And it says, David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. And it was in this moment that really was a moment of truth. That this guy that had caused David so much pain, so much frustration, so much headache. I mean, he's on the run. Now it is in David's power to change all that in an instant. Like he is in a cave. They could sneak up behind him, take him out. And David doesn't do it. Like, I mean, some of us would sit and we would look at David like, what, what are you doing? Like this guy wants to kill you. He wants your head on a platter. And David said, no, 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 see, you guys don't understand. Patience sometimes is a lot better option than power. This, uh, about three months ago, um, for those of you guys uh, who don't know, I have three beautiful daughters. I have a five-year-old, I have a three-year-old, three and I have an 11-month-old that's going to be one on the first, all girls. And, uh, and, and it, it's, it's so much fun because we, we love just every single Friday we go out. It's our Friday family fun day, and we just pick an adventure. So we're always doing something. So if you call me on Friday, I'm not going to answer, okay, just so you don't get offended. Um, and, and we, we, we ended up going a few months ago to this place called Happy Hollow. Anybody ever heard of Happy Hollow? Yes. It's like a zoo with some rides. 
everything's inclusive with the ticket, so it works really well. And, and so we're in this line for this one particular ride, and I'm waiting with my girls, and I'm sharing Jesus with the people in front of us because we're super spiritual, and, uh, and we live what we say we believe. And, and so, so it, comes to our, it comes time for our, our turn to jump on the ride, and, and the workers look at us, and they say, oh, sorry, both of your girls are too small. So what we'll do is we'll allow one of our workers to ride with your oldest, and you can go with your youngest. And we said, man, that's perfect. And so they kind of pushed us off to the side a little bit um, while they went to grab a worker. So went and grabbed the worker. We, Oli and the worker jumped on to one part, and I took Abby, and we, we loaded up on the ride. And I hear all this commotion, and this guy is arguing with the workers. Ah, so I'm like, man, what's, what's going on? And I see him pointing at us. So. I was like, man, so I walked over there, and he was like, you guys cut in line, and, and, and they put you in front of us, and he's just losing it. I'm like, man, bro, I, is it that serious? We'll get off the right, we'll wait our turn, right? So here I have all the power in the world to tell this guy, sorry, bro, you're wrong, because he was. You know what was messed up? The people we were sharing Jesus with in front of us, they didn't even say anything. It's like they could have solved the entire problem, and they didn't say a word. It's just like, no, nope, I'm minding my own business. Thanks a lot. And so, and so, so here, so we, I, I go back, and I unbuckle Abby. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wow, what a patient pastor. So patient and godly. Well, that's not the end of the story. <laughs> so we're walking past, and because I'm a man of truth, and when something is not right, there's kind of a righteous angst inside of me that I know you're lying, man. I know that you're lying. Can you kind of hear it in my voice? I might need some counseling for this over time. But <laughs> I, I looked, and so we're walking past him. I got my daughter in my hands, and he's got his kid, and I walked past him. And I couldn't resist. So I walked past him, and I, I just, just whispered, you know that's not true, right? And he loses it. <laughs> what? And, I mean, it must have been conviction, but he flips out. I'm like, oh, no. And all the parents are like, come on, like, this is a kid's park. And I'm like, and, you know, I'm that guy. And, uh, and so he grabs his kid and he leaves. So I was like, all right, Abby, let's get on the ride. <laughs> but, but how many of us, listen, I had all the, listen, I, I was so convicted by that. I repented as soon as I was done. I even tried to find the guy like, man, I'm so sorry. I, I, I was right, but I was wrong. And, and you, can, you can have the power uh, over somebody, and you could be truthful. It could be right. You could have the, the proper authority. You could be saying all the right things. But if it's not in the right way and it's not in the right time, it can be completely wrong. And, and, so, and I think all of us have that tendency, don't we? We all have that tendency, um, especially when we have the edge. You know, like maybe you're in a debate or a conversation or, you know, some intense fellowship, what we like to call it, Right? And, and, and you know you have the upper hand. You may even know you're right, and you just have to get the last word. You just have to make them pay. You have to make them feel it. Are, are you guys just, oh, don't, don't just look at me like, oh, I have no idea what you're talking about, Pastor. And, and the, I think the reason, why, the reason why we find ourselves in those moments is, is because we, we struggle with patience sometimes. And I think, we, listen, I think our struggle with patience is going to continue to be a problem until we understand where that problem is coming from. 
See, a lot of us would acknowledge, we say, yeah, yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't too patient last week, or I wasn't too patient. So what do we say? We say, well, I'm going to try harder to be patient. God, would you help me to work on my patience, right? Everybody says, don't, don't ever pray that prayer. No, it's a good prayer. <laughs> like, God, help me with my patience. But here's the deal. The reason why we struggle with patience so much is because many times we don't understand where patience comes from. See, patience is a secondary response to something else. And so when we try to be patient, we just can't figure out, man, how come I just struggle so much with patience? Because patience is a secondary response to something else. And we find that in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the Apostle Paul speaking, a guy who used to hate Christians, has an encounter with Jesus, and look what he says. Love is patient, and love is kind. See, when, when you look at this for a moment, the reason why we are lacking patience, it's not because we're lacking patience, it's because we're lacking love. So we're working so hard on our heart to try to say, I want to be patient, I got to be more patient. And God say, no, 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 no. Let, let me work on your heart. You need to be more loving because patience is going to overflow from a loving heart. I, I love this article that I found from Christianity Today. Look what it says. Some of you guys are like, oh, no, he's going there today. And you just like exploded last week, or maybe you guys got into a fight on the way here. Welcome to church. It says this, Patient in, patience implies a hopeful contentment with the present rather than an agitated, proud indignation that I don't, have, that I don't yet have what I think I deserve. And kindness requires that I give of myself rather than expect something of others. I love how kindness and patience are combined because they both scream selfless. And this is kind of the interesting thing is many times when we think about love, the opposite of love, we think of hate. But clearly from this passage, the opposite of love isn't hate, it's really pride. It's really pride. Let me show you how this works. If you're struggling with patience, it's okay. Just We are wrestling with this, okay? Don't feel like, oh man, I messed up. I'm not loving and I'm, I'm prideful. Yeah, that may be a little bit true, but... We're going to work through this together. So, so, so let me show you how this works. Where there's a lack of patience, there's going to be a lack of love. Where there's a lack of love, there's going to be a lack of humility. And where there's a lack of humility, there's a lack of trust in God. See, like, like you're focused on patience when in reality there's so many layers underneath that you need to work on your trust. And God, see, this was David's secret. This is why David could be before his enemy, his enemy, and respond to him with such grace, with such patience. It's because underneath all of that, David had a confidence in God, in God's ways, in God's timing, which allowed David to say, you know what? God, I trust you. So because I trust you, it produces a humility in us to not have to be in control of the situation. Because th this is the truth, is that when we're prideful and, and we're lacking in patience, what we're really trying to do is we're so afraid of the outcome, we have to be in control. I have to get the last word. I have to make sure they pay. I have to make sure that they know that I will never tolerate. We have to make, we have to be in control. But when there's a confidence in God, you don't need that anymore. It produces a humility on the inside of you. That humility enables you to love. And out from that place of love flows patience. 
So I think when it comes to patience, we're just starting in the wrong place. And how would your relationship be different if you were just a little bit more patient? Like how could that, that just that one aspect, rather than reacting, you learn how to respond. Like how would it be different? So my question to you is this. My question to you here is this. Where are you fighting for control when God has called you to trust? Where are you fighting right now for control when God has called you to trust? Second thing we see in the man cave. Second and the last thing. Only two today. It's all, it's all our hearts can, can manage to bear. As David said this, it's better to be honoring than hurtful. David shows us this picture. It's so much better to be honoring than hurtful. Let me explain. Let's go to the Bible. It says this, 1 Samuel chapter 24, verse 6. Look what David says. So David cuts off a piece of his robe. Like, that's nothing. A piece of his robe. I mean, the guy could have killed him. But look what David said. Look at David's heart in this. The Lord knows that I shouldn't have done that. To my, uh, that I shouldn't have done that to my Lord, the king. David is still honoring this man, even though he does not deserve any of it. He says, I know that I shouldn't have done this to my Lord, my king, he said to his men. Continue. The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king, and attack the Lord's anointed one. So this is, this is David's secret here. For the Lord himself has chosen him. Like, really think about this for a moment. David's men have to be looking at him like, what? Like, this guy is trying to kill you. And you're concerned that you cut his robe? Listen, David was convicted at just the slightest piece of dishonor. Look at that type of a heart. To a man that was worthy of absolute dishonor. So, so let, let me bring you a little bit closer. And let, let, let me paint this picture for you. David was honoring God by honoring the position of authority he established even when the person, when the person's behavior wasn't worthy of that honor. So David was honoring the position even when the person wasn't deserving of that honor. And I mean, really think that that's hard. That kind of that's hard for us to, to wrap our minds around. Because sometimes we look at honor as something that has to be earned, but sometimes it's something we choose. Sometimes we have to choose to honor God in moments and in situations where it does not feel like we want to honor him at all. I mean, really think about David. David knew that by dishonoring Saul was dishonoring God, for God had established that authority. And I think in, in our day, we just, I don't know if we get honored a whole lot. Like if you travel to other countries, um, sometimes even if you just travel a little bit uh, south, there's, there's the hospitality, the honor kind of shifts a little bit. In the Bay Area, I'm not saying there's no honor here. I'm just saying it's just a different culture. Like some places you'll go and you're just like, what? Like, are you serious? Why, why are you taking my bags? And you're like, you're, you're, uh, it's just, it's mind-blowing. You're like, do I owe you something? Did I do something? What's going on? They're like, no, we just, just want to honor. And, and the Bible speaks a lot about honor. We don't have time to go through all the implications of honor. However, I, I do want to touch on authority for a moment. Because in our relationships, it's, it's amazing that the Bible speaks to different positions of authority and how we're to honor them, but also relationally with our peers and with our kids and those who are under our authority. So let me just show you a few 
when it comes to authority that God has established, let me just show you here. The first one is this, God has established civil authority. Romans chapter 13 says this, and I'm not gonna have it on the screen, I'm just gonna quote it to you. He says that all authority has been established by God. It doesn't say that the person in authority's behavior has been established by God, but all authority has been positioned by God. How many of you guys know it's really hard to separate sometimes the position from the person? It's, it's challenging because we're like, oh, man, we just want to rip that person to pieces. But when we do that, we also can dishonor the, the position. And so, so it's a fight, and, and, and it's such a challenge. But these are, this is one of the ways that God has established government. Number two uh, is family, the family authority or the government of the family. You know, kids, honor your mother and your father. You know, wives and husbands, man, honor, submit to one another. You guys are like, I thought only the wives were supposed to submit. That's not what the Bible says. Laying down your life is far greater than submission, all right? Or to honor one another. I know how you guys think. I, I know how you're thinking, some of you. All right, moving right along. Civil family. Uh, then there's social. First Timothy 6.1 talks about your bosses, your teachers. You know what God says here? He says they're, they're not worthy of some honor. They're worthy of all honor. Swallow that one. Next time you go to work tomorrow to a boss that's not honorable. I mean, really think about that. He said they're worthy of all honor. Like, how, how in the world? And then there's also church. Church. First Thessalonians, this is a long one. Five, verses 12 through 22. It says that your church leaders are worthy of double honor. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Just thought I'd throw it out there. It's what the Bible says. All right? So next time you think about rebelling, I'm just kidding. And so, so these are the establishments of authority that God says, listen, that God has established. And, and it's hard sometimes to want to honor people. But could we honor God in the midst, despite the person? Are we able to honor God despite the person? Now, there's, there's a couple of other aspects in regards to honor in Matthew chapter 10. And, and this kind of gets on a relational level where, you know, hey, receive a prophet and there's a prophet's reward. And, and receive uh, a righteous person, and there's a, a righteous person's reward, and receive even these little ones. And, and there's this, 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 this understanding that, man, it doesn't matter what type of authority or relational atmosphere or environment you get into, God has called us to honor. And God is, I mean, just, sometimes it's just because they're a human. Some of you guys, there's tension. I feel it. You're like, oh, this just doesn't work. Now, let, let me tell you what I'm not saying. If you're in an abusive relationship where you're being physically, verbally, emotionally, I'm not saying stay and, because you're honoring that. I'm not saying that at all. In fact, that wouldn't be honor. That would be denial. And God's not, God's not calling you to do that. All I'm saying is this. What if we begin to filter every, what if God became the filter that we see every relationship in our life? How would that change how you treat that person despite who they are? Are you guys tracking with that? That could change the game. So let me, let me break it down a little bit further. My pastor, uh, when we were deciding to, when we found out that we were going to come to the fountain, many of you guys don't know the backstory. story. And the backstory story is uh, probably, oh man, I'm not even going to try to go back to years, 
But what I, what I will say is this, there were on several occasions we thought we were going to pastor different churches. We thought we were going to take a church in Stockton. We prayed about it. Just felt like, nope, that's not Jesus. We thought we were going to be district supervisors in, our, in the Pacific Northwest for our denomination. We felt like, nope, that's not it. Um, we thought we were going to plant a church in Dublin. Now, let me bring you into this story. So we're going to plant a church in Dublin. I went to my pastor. I said, Pastor, I feel like God has called us to plant a church. And he's like, all right. And so I went to our district, and I said, I think God has called us to plant a church. And they said, go ahead. There's no money, but go ahead. And, uh, and so I went, and I got a job at Red Bull, a part-time job. I was still in ministry full-time, but I got a part-time job because we were preparing to make that shift. And I remember the third day on that job, I just broke down and started weeping because I knew, like, it was like the Lord saying, what are you doing? <laughs> you ever have those moments with God where you just sense, like, oh, man, I missed it. And in my mind, I'm kind of frustrated because I'm like, God, what, what do you mean? Like, I'm stepping out in faith. I'm trying to, like, seek you and save the world with you. You know what I mean? And, and so I went on a fast because I was just confused. I was like, God, I don't know what you're saying. And God spoke to me on the first day of the fast. How many of you guys know that was amazing? It's like he didn't take me 40 days. It was one day. And I said, Lord, thank you for your grace. And during, and during that, that process, during that time, uh, what I really sensed the Lord was saying to me, I actually came across this passage. And what I sensed the Lord was saying to me was this, was, um, Matt, it's, it's not a matter of, of, of if you should go or when you should go. It's a matter of are you being sent. So I was like, what does that mean? And I knew exactly what it meant. And I actually went to my pastor and I repented. I said, man, I'm so sorry. And we have a great relationship so sorry because I never invited you into the process. Here God has placed you as my shepherd. He's placed you as my pastor. And I'm just kind of stepping out on my own. I, didn't, I didn't, haven't even asked your opinion. And he looked at me and said, Matt, you know, he said, I had a little bit of reservation on the timing. Not because you're not qualified, just because of, you know, kind of where we're positioned as a church right now. And, and, uh, and so can I just tell you that, man, we cried, we hugged, and our relationship just went just incredibly deep. I mean, he passes a church of over 2,000, and I get a text message in the morning. Oh, my phone was right there. Happy Father's Day, bud. I love you. you know, I mean, our relationship, it just took our relationship to the next level. And we served there for another six years. And then I got a call on a Wednesday. He said, hey, bud. I know, hey, bud, like, something, like something's up. And he called me, and he said, hey, I, I just want you to know that I got a call from our district, and it bears witness with me. You see the, the change of things? First, it was me trying to make something happen. And I'm not saying this is everybody's story, so this isn't a formula, but this was just what, what God had, had us do. And it was coming from our district to my pastor, and he said, man, you're ready to go. This is it. And that's when we left and we came here. And everybody would always ask, like, man, it just seems like God's hands on this church. Like, like man, we're growing. Like, lives are changing. And I always come back to say, listen, I, I know it's because we didn't just go. But we submitted under authority. And when it, when it was God's time and we were sent and we were left with a blessing and with an inheritance, that's really changed the game. And everybody told me this. Everybody said, no, don't do that. He'll never let you go. All my good friends of mine, people who are well-meaning, they said, he'll never, he loves you too much. He's going to want to keep you forever. He's never going to let you, he's never going to release you. 
And that was a step of faith that Jackie and I took, that we just said, you know what, we're just going to trust that God is bigger than that, that God's ways and God's timing, they work. And sure enough, I didn't have to persuade him. He told me, get out of here. It's time for you to go. And so I'm just saying this, there, there's, in the scripture we see that where there's a, a, a high sense of honor, there's a lot of times a direct connection to our faith. In Mark chapter 6, Jesus is in his hometown, and he reads from the, pro, the scroll from the prophet Isaiah on the Sabbath day, and it's a very famous passage. It says, you know, God has anointed me to, to preach good news to the poor, to set the captive free, to, to bind up the brokenhearted, to let the oppressed go free, and, and Jesus folds up that scroll and says, today... This has been fulfilled. And everybody's like, what? Like it's basically Jesus who said, I'm God. Everybody, hey, happy Sunday to you, I'm God. And they just, they, they just, they were like, you're the carpenter's son. You're Joseph's son. Dude, you're from Nazareth. Like nothing good comes from that place. And you're claiming this bold claim. And Jesus looks and he said, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. And it says that Jesus was unable to do miracles in that city except for lay hands on a couple of headaches and watch them recover because he was amazed by their unbelief. But then you fast forward to Luke chapter 7, and there's this centurion guy. And I'm almost done. So if you're like, man, it's lunchtime, well, just distract with me. There's this centurion guy, and he is in a position of authority. Now, a Roman soldier was in a higher position of authority than any of the Jews. They, were, they had conquered them. They were, over, they were ruling them. And this high-ranking officer, this centurion soldier comes and he says, hey, um, Jesus, my, my, my servant is, is, is dying. And I'm going to paraphrase the story. And Jesus basically said, hey, I, I, I'll, man, I'll, I'll come and lay hands and raise that person up. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. He said, Jesus, I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof. I'm not even worthy for you to go out of your way. But this is what I do understand. I do understand authority because I've been given authority by Rome and empowered by them. And as a result, the soldiers who are under me, the only thing I have to do is speak a word and they move. So, Lord, I know all you have to do because of the authority that you have is speak and that sickness will flee from my servant. Jesus is like, what? Do you see that honor? I'm not saying honor is a formula or anything like that, but I'm saying where there's a high honor for God, there's normally going to be a high faith in him. And, and he gets, and he gets, he kind of humbles himself down and says, I'm not even worthy for you to come up under my roof. And Jesus said, done. And so we see in, in one place there was, there was a hindrance because there was a lack of honor and faith. And the other place there was an unleashing. So I wonder where our relationships, so just hear me out. I wonder where our relationships might be lacking as a result of a familiarity that we have grown with the people around us to the point that we have lost sight of the gift that some people are despite their craziness sometimes. And as a result, we've not honored God in the position that he's placed them in our life and we treated them with contempt, I wonder what blessing might be bound as a result of that. So, King David, back to the story. You might be saying, that still just doesn't make sense to me. Like, what did David get out of that? 
He just let him go? Yep. But can I tell you that Saul left, he may have been free, but he was still bound. David may have still been in the cave, but he couldn't have been more free. Because you know that, that honor, when you honor God, despite people, it, it does something more in you than it does for them. It does something more on the inside of you than it does for them. Imagine if you began to honor God in every single one of your relationships, if he became the filter. Because listen, if David didn't honor God as the filter, he probably would have hurt Saul. He probably would have killed him. What saved Saul was David had a filter. And that filter was an honor for God that said, nope, God's way, God's time, so much better than mine. This doesn't make sense. I know my guys are going to think I'm crazy, but I'm modeling for them what a good leader does and what a good leader is like. And David said, nothing's going to be able to keep the promises of God from being fulfilled in my life. I'm going to honor, even when it's not deserving, I'm going to honor the authority and the position, even though the person is not worthy of that honor. So ima imagine, if that was the, if that, imagine if that was the case. I guarantee you would gossip a whole lot less if God was your filter. I believe that that tongue might get held back just a little bit more once in a while. See, this is an extreme case. And I'm not saying there's no boundaries. David wasn't best friends with this guy. He just didn't kill him. Right? For some of you, that, that's, that's a great start. Just don't kill him. <laughs> but how would your anger be different? How would your heart be different if you could begin to see through that filter? Are you guys tracking with me? So the question that I have for you, and we're going to close with this, so Cam, you could come up, is where am I hurting people because I'm not honoring God? Where are you hurting people because you're not honoring God? And what does God want to do with you and through this? See, the, the key to all of this, ladies and gentlemen, and this is where I really believe God wanted us to land today. David was able to live like this. And there's so much more I can take from this text. This is it. I can tell you how David chose discernment over deception. I almost did that too because in patience, honoring, and discernment, I would have said you got a PhD from a man cave. Um, but we don't have time for that because God wants to, God wanted us to go in a, in a different direction. And, and because David was able to live in such an extraordinary way with his worst enemy. Get that in context. It was because underneath all of that was a confidence in God. And you say, well, Pastor Matt, how do I get that? And I just want to point you to the ultimate man cave today. And I want to show you a picture of that right now. And it's called the empty tomb of Jesus the empty tomb. See, what the empty tomb shows us is that they bury Jesus, but it, he's no longer there. And it tells a lot about who he identified with, what he valued, what he ran to. And see, the empty cave screams something so amazing to us. The resurrection of Jesus screams that all of this right here, ladies and gentlemen, is true. It's 
it's true. And if it's true, then you can have confidence in God's ways. You can have confidence in God's purposes. You can have confidence in God's plan. You can have the utmost confidence because he is not dead. He is alive. And that confidence will produce a humility where you don't have to control every situation anymore because you know the one who is ultimately in control and that vengeance belongs to him. He does it far greater. Can I just say, you guys remember Moses when he uh, was called to deliver the people of Israel? Moses was called to deliver the people of Israel and he saw a Hebrew being mistreated by an Egyptian. And so Moses said, you know what? I'm going to kill this guy. And he killed him like a gangster and then buried him in the sand. Moses, he just, he jumped the gun. His heart was in the right direction, but he jumped the gun. But David, what David said is, I'm not jumping that gun. I know too much. And I know that God is able. I've watched him deliver the lion and the bear. I've watched him deliver Goliath. And if he tells me I'm going to be king, Saul, sorry, buddy, it's not up to me, but you don't stand a chance. Could you know what type of rest that will produce in your heart? When you have a confidence in God that produces a humility on the inside of you that allows you to love, which causes you to be patient with even the most horrific people around you, that will transform 